So tonight what we're going to do is uh, explore a topic. Uh, it's not so much to address a, uh, a Shiloh which, uh, which came up or something like that, but it's something which uh, I think it's important just to understand what the issue is, because there's a lot of confusion in terms of terminology and in terms of the way people uh, talk about the, this particular halacha. So I figured, uh, why not go ahead and just clarify things? Uh, that way we'll all be uh, more intelligent kosher consumers. I guess we'll say it, uh, we'll say it like that. Okay, so the topic is, if you can find it on my, um, where is it? Um, I lost it somewhere. Hold on, let me see where it is. Hmm. Oh, there it is. Okay, it wasn't showing up. Okay, so you s- should see it on the uh, the screen over there. It says Chalav Yisrael Chalav Stam. So what we have over here is, as we're going to see in the Mishnah, there's really uh, from Chazal. There's only two terms which we have. Uh, and they describe, you know, it's a it's a switch which is either on or off, and the confusion uh, began to arise in the 20th century when this new coined term, this newly coined term called chalav stam, uh, came onto the uh, onto the market. I guess we could uh, we could say pun intended. Okay, but let's get ourselves uh, through the literature up till the up until the 20th century, and then we'll see the 20th century literature about this. So where we begin with over here is a Mishnah in Maseches of Odazar. So Mishnah Maseches of Odazar, we're just reading the opening line of that Mishnah because that's the part which is which is relevant for us. But it says, "Ve'elu dvarim shel Asurim So the following things are manufactured by non-Jews, which are prohibited for consumption, but it does not create, Chazal did not create a prohibition against getting benefit from these things. The prohibition is limited to consumption. And the first one, so we don't have to go too far into the Mishnah. So the first one is, Cholav Shechova so if a non-Jew goes out and milks a cow or a goat or a sheep, and a Jew is not present to watch, so that is what we call chalav akum. That's what we call non-Jewish milk. Not that it came from a non-Jew, but it's uh, milk taken from a mammal when a Jew was not watching. And that is something which is prohibited for consumption. So this is clear. This is not, There's nothing even to discuss as far as what the opinion of the Chazal were, how this makes their way through the Rambam and Shulchan Aruch and all of that. This is a clearly uh, codified halacha that in order to be able to drink milk, it has to be that a Jew was present at the time of the milking. Post can actually take it even a step further that a Jew has to actually examine the container which collects the milk because there may be some residue from, uh, from na- a, a non-Jewish mammal's milk in that container. So in order to make sure that we're not mixing things, so we need to have a Jew examine the container that the milk is collected in, and, uh, and only then is a Jew allowed to, uh, to consume it. And here in source number two, the dark Chuva, uh, it's sort of like a Mishnah Brewer style on, uh, on, on your day, on the beginning of your day, the first half of your day, really. Uh, and he writes as follows, lots of different sources. And he writes, and we'll skip some of the names. We don't have to, uh, to follow all the name dropping. But he says, the kasa, the im ki'im, really, the im who, kfar bekfar goyim, let's say one that finds themselves in a non-Jewish village, ve'in lo shum meichel umashka, ki'im cholov shecholvo akum, goy. And the only food which is available, you can't have any of the meat because all the meat is non-kosher. This is before you could just run into 7-Eleven or a gas station and grab something off of the shelf, which was available. So you're there in this town. There's nothing to eat other than uh, something which is milchik or milk, which a non-Jew had collected from from an animal. And it's so bad, the person has gone so long without eating that if he does not consume this milk or this milk product, 
that he may be in danger because he's starving. In such a case, it would certainly be permitted to go ahead and consume this hull of akum. Because it's no different than if you have a, a pregnant woman. Chazal talk about a pregnant woman who smells the food and that generates a very strong craving, which if that craving was not satisfied, it would potentially put her life at risk, where when there's a potential uh, 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 risk to life, so certainly we're going to allow a person to go ahead and consume whatever it happens to be. However, so in, so in the event that it's a kanasofashos, it's a danger to life, then certainly one is allowed to have chalavakum. Uh, if it's a if it's a danger to life, one can eat chazer. What's the chiddush here? I mean, yes. What? Correct. But then he says, "Ach, he's, he, he, we're we're in the middle of a sentence." Ach, however, im In the event that one could obtain kosher milk, This is the main chiddush art. So one would have to spend all of their money in order to obtain that kosher milk. So the non-kosher milk will cost you a dollar. The kosher milk will cost you a thousand dollars. So the dark etchuv, according the uh, the, the sefer ruach Hayim, says you have to spend the thousand dollars in order to get kosher milk. In order not to violate this prohibition of consuming milk, which was collected by a non-Jew, then you saw Ro'eu without a Jew observing that the, the milking process. Or decide, figure out there, find some other food which you're going to go ahead and consume. But the expense involved, in the event that it's obtainable, it's accessible, so the expense involved is not a heter to go ahead and have chal of akum. The only heter is sakanas nefashos, but anything short of that, if it'll cost you $1,000, or he says it costs you $10,000, it costs a million dollars. If you could get it for a million dollars, you got to spend the million dollars rather than violate this iser drabana. So that was the, uh, the the main emphasis over here in the the dark etchuva. And this would seem to uh, to be a, a relatively strict standard that we are that we are structuring over here in terms of what Chazal put in place with this prohibition. But as we're going to see now, it's actually not so simple. I mean, it is so simple, but the uh, there will be a scenario where maybe there's room for exception. In here, what the dark etchuva in Sivkat and Vav, it's in Yoridea, Simon Kuf Tezvav, Sivkat and Vav, or Os Vav. So he goes ahead and he uh, poses, and we'll speak it out outside. He goes ahead and says there's two different ways that one can look at this prohibition of Chal of Akum. Two different perspectives, both of which would be uh, could potentially be true, but we'll see there's a significant nafkamina, there's a significant difference or outcome depending on which of these two perspectives you adopt. On the one hand, you could go ahead and you could argue that the whole concern is that maybe the non-Jew is mixing in milk from a non-kosher mammal. Maybe this is not really cow milk. He's misrepresenting the cow milk. Maybe there's some camel milk in there. Maybe there's some pig milk in there. But maybe there's some milk from a non-kosher mammal. That would be one concern. The second concern or the second possible explanation for this is, is Chazal went ahead and they answered it. They said that we are creating a which is going to prohibit you from eating milk, that a Jew did not see the milking process, and therefore it's irrelevant what the circumstances are, whether there's, a, whether there's grounds for concern for camel milk or pig milk to be mixed in. They went ahead and they just said that it's Aser. Once Chazal say that it's Aser, it's Aser, and we're not going to go ahead and try and fetch out, maybe in this circumstance it's okay, maybe in this circumstance it's okay, it's going to be Aser across the uh, the board. So these are two opinions which one finds in the Achronim. It's Aser either because there's a concern for non-kosher milk mixed in, or it's Aser simply because Chazal went ahead and Asered it. So what's the Nafkamina? What will be a practical difference between them? So let's say you find yourself on a desert island and all there are are cows. So if all that exists on this desert island are you, the non-Jew, and a bunch of cows, and there's nothing else which is there, so where could the, what, where could the milk possibly come from other than the cows? 
So if your whole concern is that maybe they mixed in some non-kosher milk, so if you find yourself in a circumstance where it's completely ludicrous to have such a concern because you don't have pigs or camels or other non-kosher mammals nearby which are milk producing, so then maybe we could say that Chazal's concern is not applicable. Whenever there's a circumstance where the concern for non-kosher milk is not relevant, so then you, you don't need a Jew to be present because there's nothing to be assured of. Because there's a, you're not going to have a non-Jew, uh, you're not going to have non-kosher milk there anyways. But if you say that Chazal made a saying that one is not allowed to have milk in the event that a Jew is not present, even in cases where there's no concern whatsoever for non-kosher milk, so it's still going to be usher. So these are these two opinions which you find, which one finds in the Achronim. And you find that the pre-chadash, and this is something which is going to be important to identify by name for later on. So he says that um, the pre-chadash says, he maintains, we'll read the second half of this in the, uh, in the dark Yitzhuvah. So he says, So he says that if you have milk, which was collected by a non-Jew, by Gentile, Aser, it is Aser. Lo mishum gzeira, and it's not, says the Prichadash, it's not because it's just a rabbinic decree, which is low plug, which applies across the board in all circumstances, no matter what, you're never, never allowed to have it. But rather the Prichadash says, no, rak mishum chashash tarobes The reason why Chazal said you're not allowed to have chalavakum is only because they were concerned that maybe the non-Jew mixed in some non-kosher milk. Therefore, in a circumstance where you don't have the concern for pig milk or camel milk or whatever the other animal is, then it would be permitted. So the Prichadash, who's one of the dominant uh, postgame, although we're going to see he's a minority opinion in this regard, but the Prichadash, a very authoritative early Akron, so he says very clearly that this is not just a blanket decree which applies in all circumstances. It's limited to where there's a genuine concern for non-kosher milk being mixed in. Visim, and then he went ahead and he concluded, this is a direct quote, Haklal Ha'ola, the rule that emerges is let's say you live in a town that doesn't have camels and doesn't have pigs, wherever you happen to live, but they just don't have those animals around. And uh, oh, or or let's say the pig milk or the camel milk is more expensive than cow milk. So it wouldn't, there wouldn't be a financial incentive for the non-Jew to go ahead and mix the expensive pig milk or camel milk into the cow milk because that would be a waste of money to go ahead and mix it in. So, so in such a case, the Prichadosh says that it would be permitted for a Jew to buy milk even though a Jew was not there at the time that the milk was collected. So as we said, there's two opinions. Either it's us or no matter what, or it's usher only when there's a concern for kosher, uh, for non-kosher milk. And the Prichadash is of the opinion that it's going to be usher no matter what. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. The Prichadash is of the opinion that it's usher only when there's a concern for non-kosher milk, for the presence of non-kosher milk. But the Prichadash maintains where that concern is not present, then it would actually be permitted. Now, comes along the Arach HaShulchan. Ar HaShulchan is the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. And he has a lot to say about this. He says, and this we're jumping into, it's in the same simon, Yoridea simon Kuftes Vav. And when we pick it up in Sif Hay over here, we are already in the middle of his analysis of, of these different opinions. And his conclusion is, nisbar. He says, it's now clear. He says, in the opinion of all of the various rabbis which we have quoted, even if you live in a city where non-kosher milk is not uh, is not found, you can't get you can't find pig pig milk being sold, you can't find uh, uh, camel milk being sold. So that it's a circumstance where there is no concern for non-kosher milk. 
still it's also because if a Jew is not present, even if the presence is outside, but the Jew is not present at the time of the milking. So he is disagreeing with the Prichadash, and he says it's Asr across the board, no matter what, it's Asr. And then he says, amazing, he says he is very harsh. He doesn't say who he's referring to, but he has very harsh comment for the following. At the end of this paragraph, he says, He says, sadly, there are many people in his generation, so this is the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, he says that there are many people, many righteous, God-fearing, mitzvah-observant people who adopt a lenient approach for these matters, like we have seen and we have heard about these, uh, this practice to be lenient with regards to and everybody, if you ask them about it, why do you do this? So they all mention, they all reference the same Tamil Chacham who uh, is also uh, adopts a lenient practice with regards to Chalav Akum and says that since nowadays you can't really get, there's not really camel milk which is sold on the market or pig milk, which is sold on the market. So they adopt a lenient attitude for these things. But, in all these people who adopt this lenient approach, because they are attributing this leniency to this one Tamil Chacham, they don't know and they don't understand. That when it comes to how conscientious one has to be in their observance, so one has to consider, one has to treat Durabanans more stringently and more severely than Darisas. Darisas could stand on their own because it's a Darisa. You just mentioned somebody, hey, how could you do that? It's Asa Darisa. So people right away know to uh, withdraw when something is Nisa Darisa. You tell somebody, hey, how could you do that when it's Asa Darabanan? They say, eh, it's only a, Durab- only a Darabanan. So being that, people have the tendency to say, it's only a Durabanan, as if to, to be dismissive. So therefore, Chazal, as we've seen many times throughout Shas, Chazal, are, they reinforce Durabanans more than they would a Daraisa, to make sure that people don't say, oh, it's just a Durabanan. So here is an example of that, that you have to be more stringent, being that it's a Durabanan. And then he says, and this is what's astonishing that he writes this. Again, now we know why he doesn't identify him by name, but this is where he has the particularly harsh words. He says, The Tamar Chacham who is lenient about this, and he is the cause of everybody else being lenient, he's going to bear this sin. It's going to be a, uh, you know, a, a burden, which he's going to carry with him into the next world. And being that this is something which the tour in Shochanarach codify as Aser, as well as all of the major Achronim hold that it's Aser under all circumstances. And they maintain that you cannot be lenient, even in a circumstance where you don't have, a, where uh, non kosher milk is not readily available. Says our Choshochan, I don't understand. Who is going to have the chutzpah, the chutzpah, and the brazenness to go ahead and issue a lenient ruling or behave leniently about something where all of the major postim have said that it's Aser? So the Chashuchan says, absolutely not. Vishomer Navsho, in somebody who is concerned about the well-being of his soul, Yirchak Atzmomizeh is going to separate himself from this, is going to stay away from Chal of Akum, even in a circumstance where there is no concern for pig milk or donkey milk or camel milk or any of those milks, nonetheless, going to stay away because once Chazal said it's Aser, it is Aser Zehuzeh. Okay, so that is part one of what the Archashokhan writes. And as we said, he has very strong words for the source of this leniency, and he rejects it uh, entirely. And now he says also something which is fascinating. He says, Uliyasa says, in case I need to further um, uh, reinforce this idea, he says, let me explain to you how the words of Chazal are like a fiery coal, meaning something that you have to stay away from because if you get too close, you're going to get burnt. And he says, let me tell you a story. He says, a fellow confessed before me 
with a broken heart. And he said, When I was still a Rav in such and such a city, you know, maybe Miami or something, that one of the Chashuva Balabatim, where the common practice in that place was to be lenient. When he was outside of his home in this large city in the, in the wherever it was. And he would travel very often to that location for business. And they would stay at a hotel wherever the, uh, you know, wherever they were. They would stay in a hotel and they would be served. They had a continental breakfast, you know, available for, uh, for the guests at the hotel. And this fellow would have a hot drink in the morning because many people enjoy having a hot drink in the morning. Baboker, uh, baboker. Hayukonim cholov shamein. So every morning they would uh, buy this drink called, um, I don't know, a, a, a yogurt or something. Cholov shamein would be like a fatty milk. I don't know exactly what you would call. Shakarin samant. I don't know what it is. We'll say hot cocoa. <laughs> Just for simplicity. So they bought hot cocoa every morning, a hot drink. It's a chenvani any Yehudi by a non-Jewish seller, shekenegad achsanya, which had a shop right outside of the hotel. Shalom. Upam achas hischilu lachro beneim me'ayin lokech chenvani akatan ze koka chalav shamein. And they're wondering where does this guy get the creamer to make this delicious hot cocoa? And they didn't know. They they, they were just wondering how he gets it, how he's able to make it such a delicious uh, hot cocoa. V'halachula chenvani. In this Balabas decide, you know what? I'm going to strike up a conversation with the uh, with the Hatra cocoa seller, and I'll ask him. So he starts to strikes up a conversation. Vishalu, and he asks him about it. Where do you get your supplies? How do you make this hot cocoa so delicious? Vamrele, I hope you guys had dinner already. Vamrele Chenvani, and the Chenvani says he responds. Anikone beitli shabasar. I go ahead. I go to the butcher shop. I go to the butchers. You know, we have a, a, a market in a particular part of town. Uh, 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 and, I, and I purchase, and I purchase a whole bunch of brain, brain from different animals which are killed. And then I go ahead and I mush it together and I throw it in the blender with a bunch of milk. So it's milk and brain which are mixed together. Then I put them on the stovetop and I cook it together. And that's why it has such a rich taste to it. This, uh, this hot cocoa it makes it particularly delicious, which they've never had before, is because it's got a bunch of brain in there, literal, literal brain. And upon hearing this, that they've been consuming brain all this time, thinking that it was just a regular hot uh, cocoa with a little bit. Of, they thought there was some Irish whiskey in, or, or something in there. And it turns out that there was a bunch of brain in there. So they were, they were uh, about 20 minutes. Uh, so their, their faces fell. Al will on their faces. Al chetam hagado. Shachlu that they had been eating trefus all this time, and they were eating basa b'chalav all this time. And this person said, I can't believe that I disregarded Chazal all this time, who said not to have milk, which was taken from a, uh, uh, which was collected by a non-Jew. And here, I thought we were safe having a simple hot cocoa, and it turns out that they were having hot cocoa with a brain kick to it. And so this is what our Chashuchan is emphasizing over here, why that uh, you need to be really, really careful, because Chazal, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they knew what they were, they, they were talking about. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. So uh, the, the rest of it, we don't, have, we don't have to see. So now, now one last thing before we get to a of Moshe, says the Dark Yechuvah even further, so you would say that, listen, maybe all of this applies in circumstances where people are actually consuming non-kosher milk. So there was a market for pig milk, or there was a market for camel milk, or there's a market for donkey milk. I think I read an article recently about somebody who visited Dubai, 
and in Dubai, they, they're, they're trying to attract lots of Jews and religious Jews to, uh, you know, to be tourists and to make it uh, 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 religious friendly. But it happens to be that they take great pride in the fact that mixed into their chocolate is camel milk. That's like the secret ingredient in their, in, in their chocolate. So you have to be careful when you go to, uh, to places that it may be that they are consuming uh, non-kosher milk. But here in the States, as far as I know, I've never seen in Jewel a container of pig milk, a container of camel milk, or a container of donkey milk. Now, maybe you go to some of these exotic, uh, crunchy granola organic places. <laughs> maybe they actually have, the, they sell it over there. Uh, maybe at Mariano's right next to where they sell the um, the uh, the alligator tail. So maybe you could find some of these uh, these milk products from these uh, these other animals. But as far as I know, it's not something which there's such a taiva that many people are actually consuming. So maybe we can Let me say ask you that. Something. Can I ask you a question? One 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 second. Yeah. Yeah. One, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. So so, but maybe in those places where even the non-Jews are repulsed by the thought of consuming pig milk or donkey milk or camel milk. So maybe in those circumstances, then it would be okay. So says the Dark Chuva, he says, uh, that even non-Jews nowadays, even though they themselves don't consume non-kosher milk, pig milk, donkey milk, mule milk, or I don't know if mules actually produce milk, but mule milk or, uh, or camel milk, still, because they find it to be repulsive as well, nonetheless, you cannot be lenient, because halacha does not draw these distinctions, whether or not the non-Jews in your area do consume non-kosher milk or don't consume non-kosher milk, According to the way we Paskin, Chazal said it's Asr, and it's Asr no matter what, regardless of how much you think that it's not applicable, either way it's going to be Asr. Okay, yes, Malcolm. Okay, so my question is, is that a lot of people, when they come to Florida, they keep Chalb Stam, even though they keep Chalb Stroel in the States. So my question is why? Because we have Chalb Stroel here. So why is it that it's acceptable to do such a thing? Um, so that's a great question. We'll see what the potential basis for that is. But uh, in the event that Chal uh, Yisrael is actually available, so then their heter is going to fall out the window. So I don't know. But we're, we're going to see that now. So now, here in source number six, so you have the uh, first shuva that Rav Moshe wrote about this topic, where you see he writes, Be'inyan Chalav, our favorite uh, activity during uh, the Shurim is to go ahead and, fig- and to um, figure out what his transliteration is. So here you have the word companies. So company milk, meaning that there's milk which is sold by you know, large dairy uh, manufacturers in our country, which have government regulations. That's going to be the main thing. If there are government regulations which, which require a uh, you know a regular cow dairy producer to uh, to uh, to uh, uh, only put in cow milk and not to mix in anything else. So is that going to be reliable? Is that going to be reliable for uh, uh, for halachic standards or not? So here Rav Moshe says as follows, and you see he's writing this in Tavshin Yudalid. So we are Tavshin Pei Gimel. Pei Gimel is 83, so this is in 14. So this is a good 70 years ago, 69 years ago, Rav Moshe was writing this. So that was uh, um, a while ago. <laughs> so he says, uh, He says, as far as the mass-produced milk, which is available in our country, where there's government oversight, government regulations, and in the event that a dairy manufacturer were to actually be caught mixing in some non-kosher milk, they would be penalized. They'd get in big trouble because of that. And they run the risk of the whole factory being shut down entirely. Mirsas means that there's going to be a genuine fear on the part of the dairy manufacturer to go ahead and even think about mixing in pig milk, donkey milk, 
camel milk or anything of, of that sort. So in a case, like in a country such as the United States, where there are government regulations, which would penalize a company that was caught mixing in non-kosher uh, milk, so there is a strong reason to go ahead and be lenient. Now he says, now you might think that the reason for the basis of this leniency is maybe we pasca like the Prichadash. Maybe we go like the Prichadash who says that the only time that, that there's a restriction against, uh, or the, the only time there's a requirement for Chal of Yisrael is when there's a fear that they're going to mix in non-kosher milk. And if there's government regulations and we don't have that fear, so we can be lenient. But Reb Moshe, knowing that we don't really pasca like the Prichadash, explains Reb Moshe, ah, we can be lenient. There's strong reason for leniency. Even without relying on the Prichadash, why? And here's the key. Because what did Chazal say? Chazal say that in order for something to be Chal of Yisrael, you have to have a Jew watch the milking process. So if a Jew watches it, so then we know, we have certainty that all of the milk is from a kosher animal. Says Rav Moshe, halachically, when you have absolute knowledge of something, that is the equivalent of seeing it. So you don't actually have to see something in order to know in absolute terms that it's true. You just need to know in absolute terms that it's true. And he gives an example, and he gives many examples over here in the rest of the paragraph. But this is the main principle which Rav Moshe goes ahead and establishes over here. And that is that halachically, having clear definitive knowledge of something is halachically equivalent to actually seeing it with your own two eyes. And therefore, where there's government regulation, which generates a fear on the part of the company to mix in any non-kosher milk, so that knowledge that they would not do this because it would be too, it would be too risky for them and that it's not worth the, uh, the risk to go ahead and do so, the knowledge that we have that they wouldn't do so is the same thing as if a Jew is actually there watching it. And therefore, Moshe says that government regulations in the states, the way that it's structured, actually is Chal of Yisrael. Because again, in order to be Chal of Yisrael, all you need is for a Jew to watch it. But once we say halachically, knowing and watching are synonymous, they're on the same plane. So therefore, we, when government re- regulations give us clear, definitive, confident knowledge that there's nothing which is non-kosher mixed in there, it's the same thing as if a Jew actually watched it. And therefore, they're on par with one another. And in the United States, you could rely on that. And you could have milk, which you get from a non-Chal uh, of Yisrael uh, dairy manufacturer. And it's considered halachically to be Chal of Yisrael. And this is Rav Moshe's Chiddush. And this is where we get the term Chal of Stam from. So Chal of Yisrael is when, that's the term that we use, when a Jew was present and watched the milking process. Chalav Akum, on the other end of the spectrum, is a term that we use when a non-Jew watched the milking process and there was no Jew present. In the middle of that is Chalav Stam. Chalav Stam is where nobody's watching necessarily, not Jew or non-Jew, but we have, we're absolutely certain we have Yediyah Brura. The, the Rav Moshe actually uses the term Anan Sahadi at some point, that we could testify with certainty that this is something which occurred even without actually seeing it. Like if I were to ask any of you, hold on uh, one second, if I were to ask any of you, did the sun rise this morning? You would all say yes. Ah, we outside, maybe it was uh, on a cloudy day. How do you know the sun rose? Maybe the sun didn't rise. You didn't see the sun. The whole day it was cloudy. You know, in Chicago, we could spend, you know, weeks at a time in the winter without seeing the sun even once. So how do you know the sun rose? Because it rises every day. We know that that's what happens. Anan Sahadi, even without seeing it with my own two eyes, I could give testimony that the sun rose because it rises to the level of Anan Sahadi. It's something which everybody knows to be true. So that level of knowledge, of awareness, that level of Yidiya is comparable to Ri'iya. And therefore, Moshe says, halachically, it's, it's the same thing as Chal of Yisrael. Yes, Ellen. So that means that any milk that has a heksher but is not chalav yisrael is def- is therefore a chalav stam that's what we call chalav stam right, right. Okay. oud products in crcd in star kd 
all of the not all of the hechsherim which aren't particular about chal of Yisrael. So whenever they put D on there, so that means it is chal of Stam. It's relying on this tshuva of Rav Moshe, who says that that when we have yedia that it's coming from a kosher animal, even without the re'iya, even without actually seeing it, so that is enough halachically, and you could consume it. And then he says, now, but he does qualify this, and he says, uh, in the next paragraph, he says, v'zeu gam l'kulayama. Rav Moshe maintains that everybody should really agree with his perspective on the on, on this, that yidiyah, that knowledge, is going to be comparable halachically to re'iyah, to actually seeing it. Because Rosh says, as far as I'm concerned, there's no reason, there's no basis to disagree with this uh, with this perspective. Therefore, one who wants to be lenient and to have chalav stam, yeshot oh, jumped around. So says Rav Moshe, yeshlo, so there's a strong reason for leniency. And you're allowed to exercise this lenient position. As we find, again, this is going back 70 years ago. So this is like in the 50s or so. This would be 54. I guess Moshe was writing this, 53, 54. So he says that most Shomrei Torah mitzvahs, so it was very hard to get Chav Yisrael back then. I don't know how many of you remember. I don't. But it was very hard to get Chav Yisrael back then. And he says most people were lenient as far as this. V'gam harbei rabbanim. And many rabbanim are lenient by Chal of Stam. lomar He says, and God forbid, should somebody say that they're behaving improperly, that they're consuming trait? You cannot say such a thing because there's strong grounds for this leniency. But he says bali nefesh. Bali nefesh is a term which is difficult. You could translate, but it's difficult to define. But it's people who are extra conscientious in terms of their mitzvah observance. So such machmirim, they may decide that they're going to avoid milk unless it actually meets the old-fashioned definition of of chal of Yisrael, where a Jew is actually present at that time. But Rav Moshe says it's a chumrah for Bali Nefesh. But he says that the baseline halach is Chal of Stam is permitted. And as I said, the major kashas organizations, the OU, the OK, and the Star K, and the CRC, so they all rely on this as a matter of course. And they, uh, they, uh, they give hechsheim to, to things which are made from Chal of Stam. Now, in a subsequent tshuva, now Rav Moshe was put on his heels Many he got attacked many times, and he kept having to revisit the same topic again and explain uh, that he he's not changing his position, he's not backing down, he maintains that it's a, that it's mutter. But he said an interesting tshuva. The first one, you I know, should say. Can, can I ask a question here? Isn't Reb Moshe saying that for his psak you don't have to rely on the prechadash? But right. But but. The, the pre-Kharash's view is in a case where you know that it's impossible to have any tame milk. So if, 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 if you're in a pre-Kharash situation, Reb Moshe is simply saying, I think that even in that situation, it's like you, you saw it yourself, that it's not particularly a kula. I mean, yeah. what, what's the difference between the two? I mean, Well, in, in the pre-Kharash's case, there may be a village where, where all you see are cows, but that doesn't stop passers-by from coming along with their pigs or their camels or their donkeys and uh, getting milk from there. So you, you, it, it's not that you ha- it, it's not that there's an oversight which gives you that. It's just it's just a, it's just an assumption that you're making. It's a, it's a strong assumption, but th- that doesn't rely that Ramosha says doesn't rise to the level of Yadiyah. The additional government regulation that raises it to the level of a strong assumption to something which you could say Anan Sahadi. I see. Okay. Okay, so the first tshuva was in Yoridei, in Igros Moshe, Yoridei Chelik Av Simen Mem Zayin. Now in Chelik Beis Simen Lamed Hey, Rav Moshe addresses a different angle of this shaila, And it goes as follows. He says, Shemitam Zev Vana Roy Luminale Yeshivos Ketana Shiitun of the Tamidim Cholav She'elo HaKampani Shemamidin Yisrael Liros HaChaliva. He says that if you have a yeshiva which is serving breakfast, they have davening in the morning, and then after davening, they have breakfast. He said the yeshiva should go out of their way 
to make sure to obtain Chal of Yisrael. They shouldn't use Chal of Stam. A yeshiva should use Chal of, uh, of Yisrael. And he says, V'afshu b'yoker, even though, as we all know, V'afshu b'yoker, me'at, uh, me'at me'leha yeshivas, sheli yeshivas, olezeh sach, gadu b'meshach hashana, even though Chal of Yisrael is going to be more expensive, and over the course of the year, that's going to cost the yeshiva a lot of money, and the finances in yeshiva, believe it or not, that hasn't changed since the 50s. So the finances of the yeshivas are very difficult and they uh, they struggle. And that's why many yeshivas are lenient and they buy chalav stam for their students. But says for, for a yeshiva, they should actually be machmer. Why? Because there's a, buying for the students, buying for the Talmudim Chal of Yisrael is also an element of Chinuch. The Limud and a teaching moment. Sheyedu, that the students should know. That somebody who's a Ben Torah, that they should, that their perspective and their attitude should be that a Ben Torah should be Machmer about things, even when there's only a slight possibility that there's some Isser involved. So again, Rav Moshe said, I'm confident that this is absolutely motor. But knowing that there are some who say, who disagree with him, so a Ben Torah should always try and adopt a stringent uh, perspective when possible. Because part of the training that you want to impart to the Talmudim is the correct attitude that one should have towards something which is potentially usher. That one shouldn't just be dismissive. Oh, somebody said that it's okay and therefore not worry about it. No, if something is potentially also, you have to think very seriously, is this a chance I want to take? Is this not a chance I want to take? The, the attitude that one has to something which is potentially also, that also is a very important life lesson which the yeshiva should be imparting to the students. And therefore, and all of the expenses all the yeshiva's expenses. All of that is to produce students who are going to be loyal to Torah and mitzvahs. And therefore, and when it comes to assuring effective chinuch, so we don't cut corners. And therefore, Moshe says, yes, it's going to be more expensive for the yeshiva to get chal of Yisrael rather than chal of stam. But that's part of the chinuch process, just like you'll spend more money to get a better Rebbe rather than an average Rebbe, even though it's going to cost more money and the average Rebbe would do an average job. But you want to provide your Talmudim with the best chinuch that you can. So for the same reason, Rav Moshe says, you're better off getting them Chav Yisrael rather than Chav Stam, because that also is going to teach them a very important lesson in terms of their attitude towards uh, uh, Torah mitzvahs. Okay, now along the same lines, uh, so two things you hear, have here in Source 8. Source 8 is, the name of the Sefer is Emes Yaakov. So this is a collection of writings from Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, also one of the great Russia Yeshiva and one of the great uh, Rabbanim in the middle part of the, uh, the 20th century, one of the, uh, the Gedolim who helped uh, uh, lay down the foundation of Torah in the United States. He was one of the uh, a small handful of Gedolim who came from Europe who helped uh, who helped do so. So he has in this uh, simon on uh, Yoradeh Kuktezvav. So he has two things. We'll just speak of them out outside. One he says is that uh, if you hold of Chal of Yisrael, it's okay to give Chal of Stam to somebody who's Mekel, somebody who uh, who consumes Chal of Stam, and it's not going to be an issue of Leif Neiver even though you happen to be Makri, that's the first one. And then the second thing he writes, and this gets your, your point a little bit, uh, Malki, he says, or Moshe says the same thing elsewhere in different shuvas, we just didn't read it inside. In the second part over here, he asks the question, somebody's going out of town on business and they can't get Chal Yisrael. So what's going to be the story? Could they be lenient or could they not be lenient if there's no, uh, there's not, there, there's no Chal Yisrael available? So said Rav Yaakov, and Rav Moshe says a similar th- same thing. He says, That when you find yourself in a place where you cannot get Chal of Yisrael, so then there, you can be lenient. The Rav Yaakov holds that the bar is Shasad Chak, a really pressing circumstance. Rav Moshe has a lower bar. He just says if the Chal of Yisrael is not readily available. 
But they both maintain that if you find yourself and you need it, so you can be certain, you could certainly be lenient. But he says, Rabbi Yaakov says you have to make, you have to be mater neder. We're in Dafyobi, so we're talking about Nidharm a lot. You'd have to be matanet, you have to get released from that. But he says, as I, as I mentioned, Rabbi Yaakov's bar is a little bit high. He says, the That if it's not a really pressing circumstance, it's difficult to be Mako. Rav Moshe says, it's not even that it has to be a Shas Hadchak. It just, if you find yourself in a place where you cannot get Chal Yisrael, so you could, you could have Chal Stam without any hesitation whatsoever. So I know, for example, uh, a, a girl who married somebody who uh, lived, uh, you know, somewhere, uh, you know, they, they lived in Arizona somewhere, and she was very excited to go visit her in-laws. Nothing to say about whether she liked her in-laws or not, but she was excited to go visit her in-laws because they got a psaac that while they're in Arizona, they can have chal of stam. Because I don't know what it's like nowadays, but back then there was no chal of Yisrael available in Arizona. And therefore, when she would go visit her in-laws from the airport before she, they ever went to the in-laws' house, they stopped off at Carvel. She was so excited to have Carvel ice cream. So that's what they did on the way to the house because that was the big treat to visit the in-laws is you get to go to Carvel and have uh, you know Carvel ice cream. So that's based on Rav Moshe's idea. And I assume, Malki, that the practice started that people would go down to Florida and they would have Chal of Stam back in a time when Chal Yisrael was not as readily available. That heter falls right. away when it is readily available, and there's no reason to be uh, to be lenient. From what I see in all the magazines, they advertise all the great Pesach hotels and all the great hotels in Florida that have the Hasidic Shechita and Chal of Yisrael and Nam Gebrux and all of those things. So it would be, uh, you know, like Rav Moshe, it would seem to be a little bit difficult to continue to rely on that leniency when Chal of Yisrael is so readily available. But it's not for me to go ahead and judge. But that is, so that so that's what's important to know. So when somebody says, uh, if you hear somebody say, I don't keep Chal of Yisrael, they don't mean that I have Chal of Akum. Nobody holds that Chal of Akum is mutter. The person says, I don't keep Chal of Yisrael, means I, I, I maintain that Chal of Stam is the same thing as Chal of Yisrael. That's all they mean to say. But nobody, nobody should think that when somebody says, I don't keep Chal of Yisrael, that that means that they have Chal of Akum because nobody permits Chal of Akum because it's Aser. Nobody can be Mater something which is, uh, which is Aser. Now, just one last thing to, uh, to be aware of. And that is, this is from, I saw quoted by, uh, uh, in, in, uh, by many Achronim, and I looked in many different Sarm, and I really couldn't find what they were uh, uh, alleged to be saying. But this one is, uh, is close enough, so we'll go with that. So this is from the Chuvas Van Hagos. This is of Moshe Sternbach. is a great Tamachacham and a great Posek. He lived in England. He was the chief rabbi in South Africa. He is the Ga'avad, I think, of the Eda Haredes now in Yerushalayim. But he's, uh, and he writes extensively about uh, all sorts of different things. So he writes that, there, that the Chazanish is quoted also as being lenient, where he says, and this is a, like a, a summary of this Chazanish, the Bumakam Sheish Pikuach Memshala, that when you have a government regulation which restricts mixing any other milk into cow milk, for example, so then there's grounds to permit again, that would be because it's going to be like a certain category which is discussed in Shulchan where when there's a genuine fear on the part of the non-Jew to mix something in, so that may already qualify. Like Rav Moshe said, as Yedia, it's knowledge that it's okay and that you can be lenient. So this is a well-known Chazanish which is quoted as if the Chazanish was lenient like Rav Moshe. Says Rav Sternbach, Aval shamati zatzal, also another great postseker who lived in Yerushalayim, originally from Europe somewhere, but eventually made his way to Yerushalayim after the war. Where he asked the Chazonish to clarify what he wrote in the Sefer. The Heshiv, and it's alleged that the Chazonish wrote, that he didn't mean that you could rely on this lenient ruling, that you could actually consume Chal of Stam just because of government regulations. You can only be lenient in the event that we're talking about small children, or if we are talking about a, a woman who gave birth within 30 days, she's postpartum, where also there may be a strong need for her to, be, to have milchiks. 
And if she does, if Michal Yisrael is not available, so that would be something which would be very bad for her health. But as a general practice, the Chazunish is alleged to have said that that one cannot rely just on government uh, regulations in and of itself. And then he says, this is the last thing we'll read, Rav Shurmbach says, It's well known what the Gra wrote, with regards to Mayim Achronim. So if you remember, washing hands before benching, so Chazal put that in place because they had a certain type of salt, which there'd be some residue left on your fingers. And if you touch your eyes with that salty residue, so that can make a person go blind, that can harm their eyesight. So that's what Chazal said comes along the grun, he says, you know what? I know that Chazal said that it's only an issue when you have that particular type of salt. And therefore you find Poskim who say, since nowadays we don't have that salt anymore, we don't have to do my machronim. And that's the basis why many people are lenient for my machronim. But said the Gra, Shechazal, lo gilu el pashut. Then when Chazal give a reason for one of their regulations, or one of their uh, decrees, they only gave the simplest and most straightforward explanation. But, but you can be certain that there are many other additional reasons they had for putting this rabbinic uh, decree in place. And therefore, just because the reason given by Chazal may not be applicable is not grounds to be lenient because Chazal would have multiple reasons why they put a, a restriction in place. And therefore, it has to be observed under all circumstances. And that's why the gra is machmer on my machronim. That's why the gra is machmer on leaving beverages which are exposed, even though we don't have snakes. Those of us in the Midwest don't have snakes around uh, near our thing that, that that's going to be a concern. So despite the fact that the concerns are no longer applicable, once Chazal said it's also, it's going to be also no matter what. So Sturmbach is quoting the same thing over here with regards to Chal Yisrael, that even if we think that the reason given is no longer applicable because we have government regulation, you don't have non-kosher animals around, whatever the explanation that you're going to give is, nonetheless, if Chazal said it's Asr unless a Jew walk, watches it, it is absolutely Asr. And if Sturmbach is one of those, one of many, who do not hold that there's a leniency called Chal of Stam at all, and they're very machmer about Chal of, uh, uh, about, uh, Chal of Yisrael. And they maintain, some maintain to such a degree that if you use Chal of Stam, your kalim are considered treif. They wouldn't eat off of your milchik dishes because they consider that to be no different than any other Isidarabana, which gets absorbed into the kalim and would not, uh, you would not be able to use it. That, that, that's, that's Chabad's position. Chabad's position amongst other Hasidim, right. Chabad is very machmar on that uh, as well. So you should be aware that there is such a, a, a chumra out there that they completely reject Rav Moshe. But most of us maintain that Rav Moshe's position is a, is a solid halachic position. I Even have to go to another there, class. It's adopted, it's adopted as a chumra, not as something which we hold is a, uh, is a requirement in, in halacha. Yeah, what was that, Art? Yeah, I have to go to another class, so I'll have to leave early. Yeah, we're done. It's good. You're good. All right. So that is hopefully that uh, that uh, helps uh, bring understanding as far as.